Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Witeka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Well, thank you for joining me today on this edition of the Born to Talk Radio Show podcast with my guest, Alan Klein. He is the best-selling author of over 30 books. His latest book is The Awe Factor, and... Get ready. He is a jollytologist. Yes, he is. Welcome to the show, Alan. Hello, hello. So great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. My pleasure, because who can't use a little bit more awe in their lives? But before we start talking about that, because you you are so interesting and you are so funny, and I... I've been looking forward to this show as soon as we booked it. So can you just tell us a little bit about yourself so we can get to know who you are? Well, do we have about eight hours for that? Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Little about myself. Oh, my God. You know, I don't know where to start. Uh, (laughs) uh, So... I'll start when I was seven years old. How's that? Perfect. <laughs> and my, parent, my parents took me to see my first Broadway show, and um, I, I behaved so well that they took me to see my second one, except we came in late, and they had to drag me out of the theater because I thought it was like a uh, movie where you sit there and start again, but that wasn't true. So, so by seeing that live entertainment and how beautiful it was that I wanted to be a scenic designer from that day forward. Wow. And I got into Yale, I got into Yale Drama School. I, I, um, I eventually passed a very strict union test, and I became a scenic designer at CBS Television. And... Um, my one of my main shows was Captain Kangaroo. Oh gosh! <laughs> I know some of your younger uh, listeners may not remember Captain Kangaroo, but he was a children's show that was on for I don't know over thirty years, I think. Yep. And um, yeah, so you know I can go on and on, but I think some of some of what I do and some of who I am will come out as we're chatting, but that's a little preview uh, of my past life as Captain Kangaroo and how that probably influenced the rest of my life. Well, for those of us that are are of a certain age, you can't not remember Captain Kangaroo and Mr. Greensleeves because it conjures up... Hold on. Hold on. Green jeans. Green jeans, that's green not, not green sleeve. So, yes, see, no, well, green there's the memory. Is a beautiful, 
Green Sleeves is a beautiful folk, folk song. <laughs> that's right. Oh, that's so funny. Well, yes, uh, but I mean, I remember him, so that's really interesting. How, how do you think that that actually influenced your life, being on that scenic design there? Well, you know, I had to, uh, designing that show, I had to think like a child, right? Um, because it was for children. So if Bunny Rabbit, remember Bunny Rabbit? He yep. was always tricking people into giving him carrots because he loved mm. carrots. So <laughs> if um, he, would, he would design, uh, Bunny Rabbit would supposedly design a machine to trick Mr. Green Jeans into pushing a button and all these carrots would pop up. Yes. Um, I was the one. I was the one that had to make it or design it, actually. And so I had to think like a child. Okay, a child might go in the kitchen and get a strainer or something to put on the box and maybe get some buttons that were lying around the house or uh, glue glue some other papers to it or, you know, whatever whatever it had handy, it would use, right? It, it wouldn't be very fancy, but it would be very playful. And so I started to see the world, I guess, like a child with more playful eyes. And so that's, you know, that's how I think it influenced me and helped me get through a lot of difficult situations because I would think, how would a child do that? How would a child, I, I remember I was on a flight that got pretty bumpy and, I, and the child in front of me made believe it was, uh, for them, it was a, a uh, you know, a ride at an amusement park. And I thought, wow, from then on, I'm going to think of the turbulent times on the plane as a <laughs> ride in an amusement park, right? Have fun, right? So just childlike thinking helped me see the world differently and really influenced how I react to things in my world and how I react to other people. If that's that's really, I, I'm also a person that can be influenced that way. And that's really interesting when you say to look through the eyes of a child and how all those decades ago, and there were many decades ago, you can still recall that and and you can hear it. You can you can hear it in your voice. Now I know that you are you are an accomplished speaker. I know that you've done TEDx talks. I know that you you are brought into conventions to speak and you're humorous. But it's because you can feel it. You know, there's nothing um, phony about that. That is that is organic and real, and that's. One of the main things that I find so engaging about you, but what I think is so cool, Alan, is you call yourself a jollytologist, and I think, <laughs> what is that, right? What is that, and how did you come up with that title? Let's talk about Mr. Jollytologist, shall we? Right. Well, um, I came up with it because I actually have a ma- Marsha. I have a master's degree in human, H-U-M-A-N, development. And my thesis was about the healing, therapeutic healing value of humor. And so um, anyone that studies humor in, I think it's in Greek, jelos, G-E-L-O-S, is laughter in Greek. 
And so I started to call myself a gelotologist, and people thought I made that wiggly dessert. You know, it wasn't. Oh, that's funny. It didn't quite work, right? <laughs> so I changed it. I just changed it to jollytologist. It's a registered name now. Nobody can steal it. <laughs> and um, I think it really gives you an idea of who I am and my playfulness and. Um, you know, it also is it's wonderful icebreaker because people see that and they say, What is a jollytologist just like you did now? Right. And so I could I could explain that um you know, I show people how to find humor and positive things and then not so funny stuff. So that's what a jollytologist does. You know, and if there was ever a time not that we haven't always benefited by humor. My dad was pretty funny. But if there was ever a time that we could truly benefit by humor, it's now. Because we are living, for most of us, in a time that we could have never imagined. Um, I, I don't have small children at home where I'm concerned about how they're getting their education or college-age students, how are they getting their education. I, I, I live alone. I'm a widow. And many people find themselves isolated in, in many ways, and you've got to find something in your life. And humor is something we can all relate to. We might not find everything, the, we might not find the humor in everything the same way, what one person thinks is funny, another person might not. But clearly, we could use so much of that, and and that's why I think timing of this book and your and just your spirit is just what the doctor ordered. So let's talk a little bit about your writing because you have obviously been writing a very long time. So what got you started on your path after you got your master's degree in human development? What got you on your path to becoming a writer? Well, it started and the humor started out of what some people might call a um, tragic happening. Um, My wife died when she was 34 and she had a rare liver disease. And we found that out at 31. So for three years, we knew that her life would not be a full life. And there were no liver transplants at the time either. Um, So it's a very, very difficult time. But my wife had a great sense of humor and continued to use it during those three difficult years. give you one example. She was in the hospital with a copy of Playgirl magazine with a male new (laughs) centerfold. Mm-hmm. And she said, Alan, hey, <laughs> I really like this hungry man. This something you put on the wall by the bed over there. And I said, Ellen, this is a hospital. Little risk day for that. And she said, well, maybe you're right. She said, why don't you get a leaf from the plant over there and cover up that part? <laughs> and I said, you know, <laughs> I did it in the First day was fine. The second day was fine. But by the third day, the leaf started shriveling up, and we started to laugh. And, you know, Marsha, I looked back, and I realized there wasn't a lot of laughter. It was maybe five, ten seconds, thirty seconds. But we came home, and we were 
look at a leaf or a plant, and we would start to laugh again. And I realized how valuable that little bit of laughter was because it, it helped us rise above the situation. It gave us a reprieve from what we were going through. And it gave us, even just momentarily, it gave us a different perspective, which is what humor always does. And so um, when, I, when I was having that experience, um, my wife died and I, I went back to school. I gave up a business I had, went back to school to learn about death and dying, became a hospice volunteer, one of the first yeah. few in San Francisco. And I noticed how people would often use humor. And sometimes it was sarcastic, cynical humor, but still it was a way that they, sometimes the only power they had, it was a way of helping them cope with what they were going through. And so I thought, I need to share this with the world, how humor helped me, how it helped um, her, how it helped our friends. And not necessarily jokes, but just everyday silly, you know, like the the uh, male new centerfold, you know, just what happens in life, just those funny things. And so I, I start writing The Healing Power of Humor, which was published in, what, 1989 and is now in a 40-plus printing and a ninth foreign language edition. Wow. So that's really how I started my writing and then one book led to another and suddenly uh, <laughs> a lot of books were reprinted and different publishers and came to be um, over 30, 30 different books. That That's, wow, you, I mean, everything that you've said thus far has made sense to me um, and I, I would imagine that people that are listening are going, oh, you know, I remember when. I think that a lot of us do that. I remember when. Um, so you you wrote the power of humor, the healing power of humor back in 1989, like you said, um, on all these different languages, which is really remarkable. So why did you write that book? So um, let me share that with you in a moment. All uh, right. I realized when you just you you just triggered something for me. You say. You know, a lot of people can go, I remember back when. Well, I just remembered, you asked, um, why did I become a writer on my path to being a writer? Right. When I look back, way, way back, when I was in PS64 in the Bronx, (laughs) (laughs) I remember at graduation, I wrote a poem that I had to get up on stage and share (laughs) with the audience about the principal and the teachers. And now that we're talking about it, I realize that was probably my first professional writing <laughs> and my first professional speaking gig because here I, not that I got paid for it, but no, <laughs> here I, I got up and I had to, you know, cite it in an assembly um, in front of the uh, school assembly. So, that's probably the inkling of uh, my path to becoming a writer. That's just because now you've triggered a memory for me. And that is I was always the one in school to get the, that got used. We, we, you'd have a letter grade in the subject, and then you'd have work habits and cooperation. So I was per- 
pretty much the C student, except if it was PE and then I could get an A, or Glee Club and I could get an A. But the work habits and cooperation, you, that's unacceptable. You, that's <laughs> unacceptable. And why? Because I was always talking in class, and then I would get in trouble, and then I would get grounded, and then I would say to my dad, but but it wasn't my fault. The guy behind me started talking to me. I wish you could see my dad roll his eyes the way it does on your website. He looked at me like, "Uh uh-huh, sure, well, guess what? So I tell people I have been talking since I've been walking, and how I ended up being a podcaster sort of makes sense in my life because I've never met a conversation I haven't enjoyed. So it just, it's, it's a back step for both of us, remember when. So back to where we are now, because like you said, we don't have eight hours. Um, so why yeah. did you write? It's so funny, though, Alan. I mean, you know, sometimes I tell my, my guests, you know, if we're just sitting, having a cup of coffee or a cup of tea somewhere outside, just, you know, enjoying the, the clouds, enjoying the day, you know, this is, this is how my shows run. And so conversations morph, and I'm okay with that. So we're going to try and get through some of these questions because I do want you to share stories. So do you want to tell us why you wrote that first book, or should we go on to the next question? What do you think? No, I I can, um, you know, and I think I, I kind of alluded to that, is I had this, when I saw how humor helped me and my wife and other people around us, how it helped us get through what people, you know, People don't put together humor and death or humor and dying or humor and grief. And yet there I was seeing how it helped. And then when I was a hospice volunteer, how it could help with rapport and how it could help share what people were going through. So suddenly I had this passion that I needed to share something that I learned with the world and something that I had not seen or heard anywhere or read about anywhere else. And so I I wrote the Healing Power of Humor book, and it was, I think, one of the first, if not, well, Norman Cousins talked about healing himself with humor, but before that or after that, there really was no other books. It was a pioneer book about Mm -hmm. therapeutic humor. And I think it was just, you know, sometimes it's luck. I was just at the right place at the right time with the right story that continues to be the right story, as as you said, you know, at the right. beginning. Um, and so, um, you know, I will say that when I was writing the book, I do meditate, and I meditated on, like, what's going to happen to this book? What's, you know, why am I spending all this effort and time and energy and disappointment when the editor didn't like what I was writing and stuff like that? And the answer I got is just keep writing because you will never know how many people this book will touch, how many people, this, how it will influence so many people's lives. So you just have to keep writing and don't worry about the setbacks. Uh, This is an important book for the world to read. I think that's wonderful. And there's quite a few techniques within that book. Um, And I thought perhaps 
you could maybe just share a couple of those techniques from from that from that book because I know we're going to be talking about the awe factor as well. But what are some techniques that um, that the readers got from your sense of humor by, um, you know, reading your book? So one of my favorites, and whenever I have done workshops or keynote speeches, um, everybody in the audience gets this little packet. And then I ask them to close their eyes, and think about some stress they're having, some worry, upset, concern. And then I ask them to concentrate on that for a little while, and then I ask them to keep their eyes closed, but open that little packet and put that thing on their nose. And what it is, (laughs) since your listeners can't see it, is a red clown nose. And they look around the audience, and they start laughing, and I say, what happened to the things, the negative things you were thinking about? And most people say, I forgot them when I was laughing. And oh. so having a prop around like a red clown nose is, is one, any prop that will take your mind off of your problem, your worry, your stress, your concern, anything that will do that um, is, you know, to have that around to get that laughter uh, when you're not doing too well. So have a prop around. That's the first, you know, it could be a picture. I have a fabulous picture of my daughter as a teenager, and she wanted a cream pie thrown in her face. <laughs> and she she got off the camp bus with 40 of her friends, you know, on the bus, and I threw a cream pie in her face. <laughs> and I, I wish you could all see the photo because she is just glowing. She is just so happy. And I'm happy when I look at that photo. So I bet have something like that around, you know, because what happens, Marsha? We put on the news, we pick up a newspaper. The world is not so happy. So we've got to we've got to kind of um, introduce it for ourselves, find it for ourselves, mm-hmm. and uh, we can. Uh, you know, here's some of the tips. So another one is, um, and I'm real I'm really big on this. Is I call this chapter "Whistle a Happy Tune," is to change your attitude. You know, because things are the way they are, and it's our attitude. That really makes the difference. Um, yes. So, for instance, I, wa- I want to read a quote um, in, in the book about the, right at the beginning of this chapter. It says, attitude is everything. Mae West lived into her 80s, believing she was 20, and it never occurred to her that her, her arithmetic was lousy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. That is so funny. Oh, you know, I, I have to segue here for a moment. Um, for those people that follow me on Facebook, and, and I do have a lot of people that follow me on Facebook and different social media, for over 1,800 consecutive days, I have taken what I call the word today is, which happened to be jolly today, and I find Ooh. quotes using the word jolly in the sentence. When I was looking up things about you, you, my friend, are so quotable. 
if somebody was to just go and type in your name to Google Images and write uh, Alan Klein quotes, they would see tons of them because that's that's part of who you are, and I, that's another part of your charm that I think is is so delightful. But you but you wrote in these you wrote a, you wrote another couple of books, The Courage to Laugh, and Embracing Life after loss, where you really talk about humor in death, in dying, in bereavement. Aren't those sometimes, do you think that they're too serious to joke about? What's your thought about that? Okay, I'm going to answer that in a moment. But since you talked about quotes that I've written, one of my favorites, and talking about attitude, is our attitudes are the crayons that color our world. Boy, is that right. So just think about that. Our attitudes are the crayons that color our world. You know, we create our own world is what I'm saying. And are you using black crayons all the time? Or are you using the bright reds, the magentas, and the turquoise? You know, what crayons are you using in your life? And you... You you create that. You know, people say, well, it happened to me, or this person yelled at me. Well, do you have to get in that argument, or can you change that somehow? Um, you know, you create your world every single moment of every single day, uh, even I during agree. COVID. Yeah. I agree. So uh, uh, one more um, little thing about attitude, and then I'll answer your <laughs> <laughs> we're not. About... We're going to not get through all these questions, but you know what? It doesn't really matter because I am picking up every single, every single pebble of greatness that you are sharing. So go right ahead. Go forward. Yeah, it doesn't matter because we have what eight hours, right? Yeah, <laughs> <Four> that's right. <laughs> oh, you're funny. Um, so there's there's a poem that I really like because it really it really talks about attitude and how we have the power, uh, and it and it's cute. I like cute. Some people don't like cute. I like cute. <laughs> Anyhow, it's in five chapters and uh, chapter one. I walk down the street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I am lost. I'm helpless. It isn't my fault. It takes forever to find my way out. Chapter two. I walk down the same street, this deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place, but it isn't my fault. It still takes a long time to get out. The three, I walk down the same street, there's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it as I fall in. It's a habit, but my (laughs) eyes are open. I know where I am. It is my fault. I get out immediately. Chapter 4, I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Chapter 5, I walk down a different street. (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, gosh. This should be an eight-hour show. This is why you do TED Talks. I (laughs) I told you. (laughs) You know, I mean, mean, truly, um, this is why... This is why you are so real and so able to share this because you don't have to wonder about it. Is there a difference, do you think, between humor and laughter? 
a lot of researchers that I know will give you uh, will give you eight hours explanation, but I'll do it real short. Um, this is my my thinking on that. Um, to me, humor is kind of an attitude. You see something uh, that amuses you, and you laugh. So laughter, for me, is the kind of expression of seeing something humorous, period. <laughs> okay, <That is> so, <laughs> well, so, okay, so humor is an attitude, but laughter I is see. the expression. Uh, of seeing, yes, seeing that humorous thing. Yes. Well, you know what? That that actually, you know, I would have, I don't know if I could have, I don't know if I would have been able to do that, but you were very succinct in that, and I think that's pretty cool. Um, in, in moving forward, because I, you have written so many books, and I know that you um, have a pretty remarkable story about your publishing, the publishing company, Mango Publishing, that's your current publisher. Did something happen that that sort of that we would like to to hear that story about did something happen with mango publishing yes how i found them and i'm gonna backtrack again <laughs> i'm sorry okay about fine you, i know when i listen when i listen to a podcast and those ask the guest a question and they don't answer it i get very upset so, okay. you know, not Sorry. that upset because I'm I'm the world's only jolly college, so I don't get that upset. <laughs> but, <laughs> a little thing You're like that. But so this, let's go so back then. Let's asked, talk about about if if writing about dying and bereavement um, are right. too serious. Let's let's go back to that. Right to joke about. Well, you know, I I think uh, you know. How am I? How am I gonna? Now that I got into this, how am I gonna answer that? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm pointing at you. You um, you did it. <laughs> maybe we should just move on. No, I'm, I'm okay. kidding. Uh, <laughs> oh, you are. Well, see what I mean, everybody. You know, Do you he, see what I mean? This is live. This is real, and that's why I love doing this every week. Oh my goodness. <laughs> uh, so. Uh, Speaking about we I'm going to divert again. Um, <laughs> I, when I lived in New York City, I'm a big Broadway live, live show uh, fan. And mm-hmm. I realized why I like live shows better than movies. I mean, movies can do incredible, you know, special effects. But when I've seen Broadway shows, I've seen where the curtain got stuck and people taking a bow, all you can see are their knees. The curtains <laughs> go up and down. I've seen an actor start turning when a motorcycle fell on him. Um, I've seen a great big Broadway, uh, I mean, Hollywood star who was in a play who forgot her lines and just stopped and said, oh, I forgot my lines. I mean, Ooh. that is the beauty of live theater. You never... Like life, you never know what's going to happen. Uh, so um, I don't know why I brought that up. but <laughs> Because you know to... why? I can tell you why. Let me tell you why. Because what we okay. are having is a conversation. And while I have some questions that I want to ask you, the reality is it's just 
a roadmap. But if we take a detour, which we've been doing, frankly, we are seeing something that we maybe weren't expecting. And isn't there joy in that, which I think you talked about earlier? There's nothing wrong with being stepping aside and going, wow, you know what? You're right. I never thought about that. I'm going to walk around that hole the next time. I saw what happened the other four times. So I'm okay with that. And I want to give our our listeners a chance. You had mentioned something about mango. I don't know if you'd like to share a little bit about that. I want to give you ample time, and we do have it, to talk about your latest book. But if you've got a story about mango that you'd like us to, mango publishing that you'd like us to hear about, I say go for it, my friend. Yes, I do. But I quickly, very quickly this time, talk about um, isn't uh, death, dying, and grieving too serious to joke about? And right. But I'm, I'm not joking about it. What I'm saying, and a lot of people say, you know, um, how can you kid around at a time like that? And my feeling is how could you not kid around at a time like that? Because all that humor could do, as I said, it helps us lift us up. It gives us a reprieve. It gives us a different perspective. And when did you not need it more than when you're dealing with loss? So I'm not talking about joking about it, but, you know, just look and listen when you're in that situation. Like any other time, you Mm you know, people look in the coffin and they say, oh, that person never looked so good. (laughs) I mean, is that not? Uh, absurd, you know. Um, uh, another priest I know was doing the service, and he said, folks, look in the coffin. Look at the body. That's just the shell. The nut is already gone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Funny. So That's it could help us as much as the tears, you know, it could help us lift us up as much as tears could help us get through it. So I think you're right. I, I do think you're right. So if now you can briefly, please, <laughs> yes, it's not I'm just sorry. a fruit, right? Now it's that my publisher, that. Mango Publishing. <laughs> okay. So I had seven or eight, quotation books that were doing very well. They're being published by a division of Random House, big publisher, and they had sold over uh, 400,000 copies, and that division of Random House closed. They were trying Mm. to save money, and suddenly, here my books were out of print. So for a year and a half, I struggled trying to find other publishers, Nobody wanted to republish them, even though they were selling well. And so I got the rights back, um, and, I, and I was trying to sell them. Nobody would buy, re, republish. So I put this sign above my desk, and the sign said, the perfect publisher will find me. The perfect mm-hmm. publisher will find me. So I didn't, I didn't stress. I didn't you know, struggle, I just said, it will come to me. So I'm looking at that sign almost every day at my computer, and about three months later, I go to a meeting 
uh, book publicists, the people who publicize books. I wanted to hear this speaker, and I sit down, and um, there's a man beside me, and he's turned around talking to two women, and I overhear them say, we have a very, very successful company, but we're opening a new division, and we're looking for uh, uplifting, motivational, inspirational books. And mm-hmm. I turned around and I said, I have, <laughs> I have seven or eight of them that are very successful. And they gave me their card and they said, okay, bring us, uh, send us the books. And I looked at their card and I was amazed. They were about four blocks away from where I lived. Oh, so my. I took it to their, yeah, took it to their offices the next day. And, you know, a couple of months later, they looked at the books and they start publishing them. So that was like the first miracle that, you know, this is amazing. And it all came from this little card. <laughs> the perfect publisher will find me. So then they they became too big for their little office near me. So they moved to a big office at a big party. I was invited. I walk in the door and this woman comes up to me. She said, well, she said, I know you, but um, you probably don't know me because I live in London. I am the publisher of this company. I'm really glad you're with us. She said, but I've known you for many years. And I said, I looked at her. I didn't know her. I said, how do you know me? She said, I used to live across the street from you and see you walk your dog every single day. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Exactly. So, um, you know, sometimes you just, the lesson I learned is we just have to give up. You know, we have to put our energy out there, give up, and um, see what happens. You know, the world starts supporting us in strange ways that we cannot even uh, fathom, you know. So that's, Mm -hmm. in, in a way, that's one of the stories that within my life, to start writing the awe, A-W-E factor, because that that was a double awe for me. One that it sure was. Uh, I lived right near them, and two, that the publisher had known me for many years, although I didn't know her. So um, <laughs> that's my, my, my story about my publisher and how I found them or they found me. It's kind of like the secret, the law of attraction. That's what I thought of when you right. said that. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So let's talk about the awe factor. And let's let, so you all know as you're listening, and I hope that you can go to Alan's um, website. I might just mention that. And I'm going to actually spell your name right now, Alan, because people spell Alan in different ways. So Alan spells his name A-L-L-E-N. Klein, K-L-E-I-N, and if you just go to alanklein.com, you will you will be on his website and you can learn more about him. So I think it's important for people to know that. And also, just so you know, Alan, um, I will be certainly hyperlinking um, the ability for people on the blog after our show that they can purchase this latest book, which is called the awe factor, and I thought we could talk about that now. Let's let's what let's tell us about your book, and maybe we could start off by having you define. And maybe this is not this is now this is seven hours. But what is awe? <laughs> <laughs> seven 
dollars. Uh, <laughs> so when I, when I was researching the book, I first go to the dictionary and I look up all, you know, what is all. And there's various, actually various defining uh, words in, in, about what all is in the dictionary. One that called out to me was they say it's reverence mixed with fear and wonder. And I thought, hmm. I don't associate fear with awe. And then I thought back to my childhood again, you know, being a child. And yes, there was fear because lightning thunder, that was awe. You know, the, the light in the sky, the shape, that loud noise was fear. Um, yeah. But the the light, you know, it was amazing. And so I would run under the blanket. And so even though I it was a wonder thing that all of a sudden there's this bright light and loud noise, it was incredible, it still there was fear there. So, yes, I realized that was true, that all can be reverence mixed with fear and wonder. Then I start doing research and, and what scientists call what they think awe is or how they define awe. And theirs is that uh, awe is when you when you see something or you're in the presence of something so vast, like the Grand Canyon or Niagara Falls, that suddenly it challenges your understanding of the world and you start questioning who you are in the world. Hmm. So if you've ever been to any of those kind of places, you know, yes, that's true too. That um, it makes you it makes you um, challenge or that of who you are when you see something so big. But I thought, okay, those are a little difficult for me. Or I, and as you saw from my definition of laughter and humor, I try to keep things simple. <laughs> I have a very simple mind. Um, so for me, it's it's when you see something that takes your breath away, or knocks your socks off, or gives you goosebumps, or as we just said a little while ago, both of us together, what? Oh my God! Right. So whenever that, whenever you say that, or you get those goosebumps, you're probably looking or getting a sensation of awe. So the other thing I did to simplify it is I've come up with an acronym of the word awe. A, E, E stands for a wow experience. A wow experience. That is so cool. And you know, I'm sure that everybody is doing the same thing I'm doing right now. I can have a wow, an, an awe experience, sometimes just looking at the planets in the sky at night going, is that a, is that a helicopter? No, it's not moving, Marsha. It's a star. It's a planet. I know it looks big, and it's like, oh, wow. It's an yeah, awe wow. experience. Yeah, the thing out you know, out in space, there are now something like 40 people living out in space, uh, right. planting plants, doing scientific research, um, doing all kinds of things, living out there among those stars. I mean, that 
that blows me away. I can, you know, that's another where something blows you away. It's like, yep, I can't believe how does how is that happening? You know. So there's also man-made awe. You talk about the stars, which is nature awe, but there's also man-made awe sometimes. Also, give me an example. Of uh, which man-made or nature? A man-made. Mm-hmm. No, the, we oh, talked man, about the planet. Well, so what's a what's a yeah. man-made awe? Okay, so I live in San Francisco. The, mm-hmm. the, one of the new buildings is the Salesforce Tower, which I was lucky enough to go to the top of, which mm-hmm. is 1,070 feet tall, pretty tall. It is yep. gigantic. However, in Dubai, there's a building that is 2,717 feet tall, <laughs> which means, and this is what blows me away, I can put two Salesforce tower tower buildings on top of each other, and it would still not be as tall as that building in Dubai. <laughs> How does man do this? How does? <laughs> yes, that 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 you you draw. Not only do you speak well, but your words draw pictures, and. Just a little bit about me. I'm I'm a literal person, and sometimes that can be challenging, frankly, with my brain working in that fashion. But you draw such beautiful pictures that I can I can visualize what you're saying. Not only am I hearing you, that you know we both said, "Oh my God!" at the same time, you know, but these man-made things like. I've experienced that. I've done a, I've done a lot of traveling. I'm sure anybody that's been to the pyramids would say that's an awe experience. Or if you've been, right. like you know, any place, any place that, like you said, sort of blows your mind or takes your breath away. It, it's it's. I can really appreciate how you describe this. And I guess I'd like to know why do you think we should care about it. Why do you think we should care about awe? Well, I, I, you know, have been. I'm not a researcher in it, but I've been researching researchers, and uh-huh. um, there's all all kinds of things that finding out about awe that they've not known before by doing all these studies. And one of them, I love this one. It came out over a little year ago, and it was they took two groups of people. These were mostly older people. 60, 70, 80 year old and they they told the group okay we want you to go out for a walk uh, once a week 15 minutes a week and they did this for 8 weeks the study was for 8 weeks so they divided the group up and one group that was all they were told to go out for a walk and then just notice what they're thinking what they're feeling during the walk the other group they took aside and said okay we want you also to go out Take a walk for 15 minutes a week, but we'd like you to notice anything that awed you or that you found uh, wandering or that amazed you and notice how you're feeling um, and maybe even take a picture of what that was. Mm. And after eight weeks, they analyzed what people said and people who did not have the prompt to find the awe, a lot of them said kind of, Things like, uh, one example, 
oh, I'm going on a trip soon. I'm not packed. It gets me worried I'm not going to be uh, time. I have to go shopping, you know. And they were, they, a lot of them said they were thinking about things they were kind of worried about. Mm-hmm. And the other group that, that found, that were told to find off, they said they had more positive emotions, that um, their negative emotions were diminished, that they connected to others uh, easier, and they were less upset, and they were, compared to the other group, happier. And all that they makes did, the reason I total love sense. This, I, I love this research because what did it take? 15 minutes a week is all it took for them to be happier um, for the whole week. So um, that's, that's why I think it's important that we look for all uh, in our lives these days because we're finding more, more research is, is coming out even as, I, as we speak. So um, the leading researcher is coming out with his own book, um, not as good as my book, of course. <laughs> <laughs> of course not. <laughs> he doesn't have a red but, nose. Um, Right, right. So I I want to share to make to make all real for your listeners, mm-hmm. because all comes in all shapes and sizes. Uh, what I found, and often it's in the eyes of the beholder. Um, so what you find may all you may not all me, but um, let me share just stories about, um, if I may, sure about uh, all. So. My mom had not taken a plane ride until she was 82. And she was on the East Coast. I'm on the West Coast. And she flew here, and I met her at the gate. And I said, ah, how did you like your flight? And she said, oh, it was wonderful. You could see the tops of the clouds. And that was her our experience, oh, seeing gosh. the tops of the clouds, you know. And I have flown some years over speaking over uh, 100,000 miles a year, yes. never thinking about the tops of the clouds. So that was her experience. The other was one of my experiences. I was in Yosemite. I was walking up a path to Vernal Falls, way high up, and there was a coming down right near me. And as I'm getting near the t- somebody across going down, yelled, Alan? And I look across, and I don't recognize them. And they said, I'm John. I was your apprentice in summer stocks 40 years ago. Oh, my God. And I thought, is this not an all moment? Now, some people might say it's a coincidence, but I think it's more like an all moment because he could have looked away for that moment. I could have looked away. The path could have turned. We could have been 30 seconds, you know, further down or up the path, and we wouldn't have seen each other. To me, that that happened just at that moment, you know, the world came together at that moment, that was an all moment. And it, the it, third it, one, and this, yeah, one. yeah. Go ahead. go ahead. No, no, no. I want to hear your third one. Okay, so this one, this one really astounded me, and it was a story I heard on the radio of three prisoners getting out of prison that day, 
and they sent a reporter to ask the prisoners what were they go what are they looking forward to when they get prison because they were in for ten twenty years some of them and so the said, well, I'm looking forward to seeing my family. I haven't seen them in many years. and Natural to me, you know. They haven't seen the family. They're looking forward to that. Second one said, I love baseball, and I'm so anxious to see a live baseball game. And then the third one, and this is a moment came for me, and I think for this person, he said, I'm looking forward to opening the refrigerator. And I thought, I know a moment when I opened the refrigerator, but he hasn't been able to do that to get a piece of fruit or a cold glass of milk or for maybe 15, 20 years. And so for him, that was just this very, very special mm. all moment. So I there's some yeah. You know, it, I don't, I don't ever do podcasts where I have call-ins because I, I really want to focus on the two of us. But if this was one, if this was one of those shows where I did that, you'd never have a chance to speak because I would imagine people are listening to this and going, I've got one, me too, I've got one, me too. <laughs> and and what what's so cool is kind of like that commercial and so on and so on and so on. And if everybody shared, just imagine, I'm in Toastmasters. I think you even got a Toastmasters award at one point. But imagine if everybody just stood up, or I'm in a Rotary Club, and just stood up and said, okay, everybody, I've got a challenge for you. I'm going to give you a few moments to think about this. I want you to stand up, or you may sit, however you're most comfortable, and share an awe moment with us. What you don't right. need to have it like you know I'm going to need an hour to think about that. No, you won't. You'll either know it or you won't know it, and that's fine if you don't. There's no pressure. We'll move on. But I I think that because you've written this book and because you've brought it to a level where people are reading about it, because I do have this book in front of me, and man, you certainly have notable people that have written the foreword. Jack Canfield. I mean, come on now. So you know this. This is a great book. I mean, I in the in the few yeah. minutes that we have left, because I, there's so many things I'd like to ask you. But maybe you could just do this. Are there three simple things that people can do to attract more awe? Yes, they can. There's more than three. The book has more than three, but um, okay. you know, as we said, we don't have seven hours. So no, <laughs> hour six. Really quickly is, um, you know, we talked about children. I think be curious, because children, you know, Zen says um, they call it beginner's mind. If you could look mm-hmm. at the world through the eyes of a child, you know, I once saw a child play with my dog's tail. For like 10, 15 minutes and just just be in awe of this. I had a golden retriever with a big kind of mm. feathery tail. Um, just be in awe with this simple dog's tail, you know. So be grow down is what I say. Instead of growing up, grow down and you'll find more <laughs> awe in the world. Mm. The other is set your intention. And, and of course, my TED Talk is on the power of intention. But... <clears throat> 
I, I once took a class and we had to go find like leaf, uh, not leaf, sorry, um, heart-shaped things. And I didn't realize that every day I walked my dog and when I came back, when after I got that prompt to find that intention to find a heart shape of something, I realized all the plants around my gate had heart-shaped leaves. And I had never seen that. And I've been walking my dog several times a day for many, you know, long times. So wow. that your intention to find more all your life, and you will. And the third is to not only look, because we don't even look today. You know, we're on our cell phone. Just stop, look, and then look even closer. Um, I, I was in Holland a couple of years ago, and I saw incredible tulips. And I thought, you know, there's a garden that has seven million of them. And I stopped and I looked and I thought, how incredible. But I got closer, Marsha, and looked inside it. It was even more wonderful because of the shapes and the color was different than the outside. And and it just, um, just, again, blew me away. So, uh, So the three are be curious. That your intention and look closer. You know, you you have. I we you talked about goosebumps just a few minutes ago. Um, that's what I have. That's what I'm experiencing right now, personally, as you're speaking. Because what I realized about myself is I do spend a great deal of time in front of this computer and my responsibilities with my podcasts and the other activities that I'm involved in. But I also don't live far from the ocean, and I don't live far mm. from ponds. And I'm a bird brain. I'm, I'm Mary Poppins. I feed the birds, which means I feed the squirrels, which is just what I do. So I tell people when I have reached my, i got to get out of here, I say I'm taking my camera for a walk and I'm going to go look at the pelicans oh my god why does that one have a white why does that one have a brown top why do they look like dinosaurs when they're flying above the water I didn't know seagulls came in five different colors you know but if you are not willing to be and I for me those are absolutely awe moments for me you hear that seal barking and you're going okay there's a seal somewhere where is it oh my gosh there it is or or the sunsets you know or or the sun rises um i'm i'm like a lot of people yeah. right now i've i've sort of i've sort of replaced my camera camera with my cell phone um but i find awe in the outdoors I do. I, 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 you, you talked about that a little bit earlier, what somebody else might find very fascinating, a tree, a flower, a cloud. Um, I, I agree with you that I find those moments to be awe-inspiring as well. And well, the number, I, just, I think, I don't know if I said this, yeah, but the number that? one generator of awe is nature. Oh, that's yeah. so true. And also, it's, you know, when you said... In in um, Toastmasters, if you gave them a chance to get up and say what awe them, mm-hmm. I would make a bet with you that most of them would either say something about nature 
or when they first saw their grandchild or their child. Oh, sure. Sure. Because, sure that Yeah, that's another because yeah. people like babies, you know, looking in a baby's eyes. I mean that's that's a one of the top rated um Sure. Uh, elite, elite, yeah, yeah. So that makes it make, makes sense. Yeah, of course. Yes. So and you brought up the fact they, uh, all can be all around us. You know, the birds, the pelicans, the ocean, the stars, the sunsets, the sunrises. I mean, on and on and on and on. Mm-hmm. But if you don't follow those three suggestions, which are brilliant, and that's just three simple ones. There's more to it. If, you're, if you are curious, if you are having an intention, and if you stop and look even closer, you may be shocked at what you find. It's all around us. And I'm so happy that you have spent this time with me. We're at the beginning of the year. I can assure you that you are one of those people that I will want to speak with again. I will not let a year go by before you and I <laughs> spend another hour together because then that would take our eight hours down to six. And, <laughs> you know, and I imagine but that there's... Then, what? Yeah, by then I might charge more. <laughs> well, you know, son of a gun, I hadn't thought of that. I have to pay you. I hadn't thought of that. Shoot. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad my Social Security check came in yesterday. Um <laughs> Alan, you have been absolutely delightful. You are a taste of what all of us are looking for. And I am so grateful for your time and energy and stories. I am a story collector. That's why my shirt says, what's your story? We all have them. I'm interested Mm. in them. Not everybody's interested. Then that's okay. You don't have to be. But for me... Hearing somebody's story, even if you're out there in the market and you're buying carrots, and it's like, why did you buy, why did you buy those carrots? Well, because look at this, and it's like, okay. Ten minutes later, it's like, well, I get it. Thank you. I wouldn't have known that before. We have to speak. We have to speak. I have to speak. I was born to talk. So I just want to thank you, my friend, for being generous with your your time today. I feel like I have a new friend. We both live near airports. I live near LAX, you're in San Francisco, we must meet at some point in person. You don't have to bring your red nose on your, on your forehead I, or your nose, I would, I would still recognize you. So, <laughs> thank you. Thank you, it, thank it, you Alan. It has been absolutely delightful chatting, so thank you, thank you, thank you. You're so welcome. Be well, everybody. You be well, I'll be well. And let's go out and find some awe in the rest of this day. And you know what? Next week, I have another show because there are five Mondays in January. I don't know if you knew that. So I will have a show next week as well. So until next time, everybody, be well, be safe, look for something that's in awe. And when I post this on my social media, here is your challenge. Why don't you, whoever is listening right now, Post what you find to be your awe. How's that? 
Okay, everybody. Bye for now, Alan. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.